pray. Lord God, you are great and mighty and awesome. Your name is above all names, the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, to remind us of that truth, to teach us that truth, to reinforce that truth. May we never look to anyone else but you and you alone. And we need you this morning. We are powerless to do anything with your word without your spirit empowering us. And so, Lord, we ask for you to do that. Empower me and may your spirit stir among us. Don't pass us by, Lord. Don't pass us by. But come and move among us. It is in your holy son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. We have been walking through this passage in this Advent season. And today we will actually finish this passage. Next week we'll actually be in Revelations chapter 5. So we'll finish Philippians 2 today. Kick it off in verse 1, chapter 2, just so we can get the context, and then I think the screen may show verse 5, but we're going to start in verse 1, just so you have a good context here. Paul, speaking to the church in Philippi, reminding them of what it means to live for Christ, and live as Christ, and to die as the gain, reminds them of his suffering, and then he goes into chapter 2. And he says this, the holy word of God inspired that Paul wrote. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's good. I almost just want to sit down. <laughs> but I'm going to do my almost. <laughs> As every preacher would say, almost. We're going to focus on verses 9 through 11 this morning. And if you will notice, verse 9 begins with, Therefore... 
And if you've been around any kind of Bible study teaching you how to read the Bible, you may have heard this many, many times, and it's good to remind yourself, what is there for? So why is it there? Um, And so we should review very quickly um, that one, it's there because Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. The king of kings, creator and sustainer of all things, laid down the advantage of his deity and took on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, which... You heard Pastor Ben say, that sounds good, by the way, Pastor Ben, I like that. (laughs) That that means we do not have a God who does not understand us or what we go through, but understands us, knows of our struggles, because he has taken on flesh, truly God and truly human. It's crucial. And then, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And not only death, but death on a cross. Which to every Jewish person who would have seen him hanging on a cross, they would have said, that man is cursed. And he most certainly was. He was cursed with ire sin. And we needed someone to bear the cross, to bear the curse that we richly deserved. And it is for those reasons, those reasons just read to you, that the following occurs. That God the Father, because of what Christ has done, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Highly exalted, lifted up, placed in the highest seat. And you may ask, hasn't he already been there? Well, did you miss the part about though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. He laid down willingly because of his obedience to the Father. He laid down his glory. But in John chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer, oh, this is good. In John chapter 17, 1 through 5, Jesus, praying to his Father, says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, and that was his teaching in John 16 to his disciples. In John 16, he's teaching his disciples in John 17. He begins to pray to his father, knowing the cross is near. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, 
the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, listen, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm coming back. I'm picking my advantage back up. And so in Philippians 2, he laid it down. In John 17, he's saying, I'm coming back. I'm coming to get it back. You can give it back to me. That was Jason's version. <laughs> so he's going to have his glory restored. And then Jesus was given by the Father a name above every name. So not only is he restored to his rightful place, with all of his glory and all of his vantage, he is also given a name that is above all names. Now, I love the Bible. I should read it more. I need to study it more. But every time I do read it and I study it, you just fall more in love with it. And so, this may be a little academic for some of us this morning. Uh, some of you, it will not be academic. You will be like, that was academic. I mean, you won't be amazed. Um, but I have to ask, I'm not a very bright man. None of the elders said anything. I think Matt did. <laughs> oh, Matt pointed at one of our elders. Anyway, I would say that uh, I have to ask myself a lot of questions about the text. And the question that I would have here, if he was given a name above all names, what name would that be? Well, I looked at a lot of people and studied a lot of writings and studied the scriptures. and I found myself in disagreement with some people that I highly respect. Uh, and this is obviously not um, necessarily a gospel-centered idea on which name it was, but I think you'll see my point as we walk through it. But um, There is quite a bit of discussion among scholars regarding this phrase, with some saying that it is not the name of Jesus that is bestowed, but rather the name Lord. But um, I land a little in the middle of this, because I don't believe it is the Lord alone while leaving out the name of Jesus altogether. Rather, I think in a different sense, the name Jesus is also synonymous now with Lord, meaning the name Jesus means something more now because of what he has accomplished, and that is why God has bestowed Lord on the name of Jesus. Now, someone here might say, well, that's splitting some theological hairs, and it may be, but I want to make a biblical case for what I just said um, from the Bible. So let's just begin... Uh, this is inspired mainly by a very good friend of mine who pastors in San Angelo, who challenged me several years ago that when I preach, to stop assuming that the people know. And uh, so I'm going to stop assuming that. I'm going to teach some things that may be very, very basic for 
maybe everyone in here, but I think it's good to remind ourselves of a couple of things. So I just want to walk through the name of Jesus. The name Jesus, announced to Joseph and Mary through the angels, means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. Uh, transliterated from the Hebrew and Aramaic, the name is um, Yeshua, and there is even debate among uh, even Hebrew scholars, or even how you pronounce that, which I found quite comical. So I'm going with Yeshua. Um, the word is a combination of Yah, an abbreviation for Yahweh, which is the name of God. Uh, we see that in Exodus. Uh, and the verb Yasha, which means to rescue or to deliver or to save. And that's where that name comes from. Now, this is what some things you may not know um, that I want to make sure you do know. Uh, the name Jesus was not an uncommon name in the first century Judea. Um, there were other people named Jesus. I think growing up in the church, we think he was the only person named Jesus, and that would not be the case. Um, people in those days uh, did not have last names. Uh, instead, they were either identified by the name of their father, uh, James or some of Zebedee, or they were defined or named by their uh, birthplace. So you would often hear uh, Jesus of Nazareth, although that wasn't where he was born, but where he was from, I guess you would say, uh, distinguishing his childhood home, the town of Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus, the name Jesus in of itself, stay with me here, is not anything particularly special. There were other people named Jesus. However, let's discuss the name Christ. Um, it is, I know, um, and you may be one, so some have thought that Christ is the last name of Jesus. That's not true. Um, Jesus, once again, was a popular name. Um, so... But the word Christ, rather, is transliterated from the Greek word meaning, meaning anointed one or chosen one. If you enjoy Hebrew, the Hebrew equivalent is the source or the basis of the word Messiah, which, uh, when the Bible refers to the Messiah, referring to Jesus Christ, it is saying that Jesus is the chosen one of God. It is saying that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, which is why you would have people say, I believe you are the Christ, which means I believe you are the anointed one, you are the chosen one that Israel has waited for. And that's what the word Christ means. So Jesus, common name, but it means he always saves. But when you say, this is my friend Jesus, I'm going to take the Bob Newhart show here. This is my brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl. If you didn't laugh, you're not old enough. <laughs> I have a brother named Daryl. I really do. And, and anyway, moving along. We'll just, we'll, I'll stop going down that road. But if you say, this is my friend Jesus, and this is my other friend Jesus, the Christ, two different kinds of men, <laughs> this is Truly man. And that's all. Jesus the Christ, truly man, 
truly God, the anointed one prophesied by the Old Testament prophets to rescue God's people. It means something. Now, the name Lord also has meaning. Now, once again, Lord meant master. Uh, it is, um, means several things. There were other lords, per se. Um, but this special exalted name that we begin to see happen in Philippians chapter 2 uh, is an allusion to the Old Testament covenant name for God, Yahweh. The, the Jews were afraid, if you remember, to pronounce God's name lest they break one of the Ten Commandments. So they substituted, uh, once again, the name Adon. Some have argued that it's pronounced differently, um, but I, once again, people pronounce differently. Uh, but you may have heard Adonai, but Adon, which means Lord, Owner, Master. So let's put these things together. I just want to help us put a couple of plus signs and add this together. So the Jesus that Paul is speaking to in Philippians chapter 2, who humbled himself, laid down the privileges of his deity, but not his deity in of itself, laid down the privileges, he laid down his glory, he left heaven, he took on flesh, he became a servant, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That Jesus is now exalted by the hand of God the Father back to his rightful place in glory with all of his glory. So Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, and Christ, which means the anointed one, is now also Lord, Master, Owner. Thank you, Ralph. I'm just going to reread this again. The Jesus that we celebrate... Here's the worst things that ever happened to us, is most of us grew up in church. It's also one of the best things that happened to us, one of the worst things that happened to us, because we just got done, we just, we just used to this. Mm-hmm. The Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas is Yahweh safe. He is the anointed one that we have all needed and all of Israel had been waiting on, and when he accomplishes what he does in Philippians chapter 2, he is now called Jesus Christ the Lord, meaning that he is now the master and owner of all things. Let me tell you, if you're going to serve a God, let's serve the one who is the master and owner of all things, and that is who we serve, and that's good news. So I don't believe that Paul is saying that the Lord... The name Lord alone is the name highly exalted. But rather, the name of Jesus as Lord is exalted, meaning the name carries a different meaning post-resurrection, post his work accomplished on the cross. Now you may say, well, I disagree with that. I think he's speaking only to the name of Lord. Well, okay. I'll go with you there. I'm not a scholar, but I just wanted to work my way through the text. Um, I read some other people, and one commentator just made mention of this. That if it's only, if Lord is the word that is exalted, and it's not the name of Jesus, then we have some problems. Because in Acts 4, it's the name Jesus that the builders rejected. 
That's who they rejected. In Acts chapter 10, only in the name of Jesus can your sins be forgiven. In Matthew chapter 28 and in Acts 2, believers are baptized in the name of Jesus. And the lame beggar in Acts 3 was healed in the name of Jesus. In Acts 4, the believers prayed for boldness to do miracles in the name of Jesus. And repeatedly in the book of John, Jesus tells us to pray in whose name? The name of Jesus. Because that is the name that has been highly exalted. He is Lord. And so Colossians 1, which we've read many times before, helps sum all of this up. Although you do not see the word Jesus, you clearly see it in the text. In Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20, your title usually of that text is the, preemin- the preeminence of Christ. But I just want to read it to you. He, Jesus, that's who it's speaking to, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That includes all things. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is who Jesus is. That's who Jesus was then when Paul wrote this. That is who Jesus is right now. And that is who Jesus will always be. It is he who has rescued us because he is the anointed one. And his name is Jesus Christ the Lord, the owner of all things. And finally, which does not mean I'm done, (laughs) and finally, verse 10 and 11, Paul says this, and so at that name, so that at the name of, say it, I'm just, I'm not a scholar, but I'm going with that one. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now here's where some scholarly thoughts have to be worked on. I had to do uh, quite a bit of study um, to make sure I teach this in such a way um, that honors the text. Um, But I believe it's clear that Paul is quoting here from Isaiah chapter 45. In Isaiah 45, verses 22 through 23, you hear this. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And by myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. 
Now, if you're in Philippians chapter 2, it may be a bit more difficult to see that idea because uh, some Bibles uh, will not reference Isaiah 45 in that text if you have reference notes. So why don't we think that? And why do I think that? Well, Paul says something. The writer of Philippians, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is also inspired to write Romans. And in Romans 14, 10 through 11, Paul says this in reference to liberty among believers. Verse 10 of Romans 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Paul is once again speaking of Isaiah chapter 45, which is why he said it has been written. Now, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it says this for the last part of Isaiah 45. Every tongue shall confess to God. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uses this opportunity to attach Isaiah chapter 45 to Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Now, if you are drawing conclusions, if you're being a good investigator here, and you're just looking at the service, you might say this. I I see what you are saying, Pastor. I I I see what you are trying to to say, but, but here's the, com- the confusion. In Isaiah chapter 45, he is referencing God. Exactly. <laughs> because Paul, in quoting Romans 14 and using it again in Philippians chapter 2, is saying once again that Jesus is God. <laughs> he is God with flesh on. He is deity, the second part of the Trinity, which is why he can become Lord over all. That's the good news. We don't worship a God who sometimes has to battle with other gods. We serve the only true God who did not tell you, do all these things right, and then I'll let you in. Instead, because he knows you, you know, he was there when the first sin happened. And he's been there when all the rest of the sins have happened. And he said it this way. This is Jason's words. (laughs) They're never going to be able to pull this off. So I'll lay down the advantage of my deity. I'll put on flesh. I'll become truly man, and I will do it for them. If he isn't God, when he does that, then he cannot be Lord. He can't. But because he is God, he can be Lord over all. Truly God and truly man, and that truly man is named Jesus, the Christ, who is Lord, and listen, one day, one day I pray it comes soon. Everyone, everyone, every religious leader, 
every religious leader of any other religion, every pastor, every president, every political figure, every person, every celebrity, every rich person, every homeless person will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even if you don't confess it today, even if you sit here today and say, well, I grew up in church and I know a lot about this and I guess I'm a Christian, but I just got to be honest with you, I'm doing my own thing over here. You know, I mean, I love Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus clearly the Lord of your life? Now, that's a dual-edged sword because I need you to understand something. He is. (laughs) You're just not acknowledging the truth with your life. But if you grew up in church and there's no similarities between you and the way the Bible calls us to live, I need you to understand the Bible does not call you backslidden. This is not in the notes, by the way. The Bible does not call you backslidden. It calls you lost. You cannot meet the Jesus of Colossians chapter 1 who is preeminent, who holds all things together because everything was created by him, through him, and for him. You can't meet that Jesus and stay the same. It's impossible. Now, do you fail and do you struggle? Yes. That there will be something birthed in you that is different where you will desire to follow your master. Because that is what it means for Jesus to be Lord of your life. So, you can do that now in faith. You can call him Lord over my life in faith. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, or you can do it upon judgment day. As you prepare for God's wrath to be poured out upon you. But make no doubt, nobody will escape the proclamation of Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow. So if Jesus' name is above all other names, as Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says it is here, then that would mean that Jesus is the only one worthy. Because no name is higher. When there is no name higher than yours, then you are worthy. He is no longer just Jesus of Nazareth. He is no longer Jesus the carpenter or Jesus the teacher. He is Jesus Christ the Lord, the master, the one to whom everything belongs. And no name is higher than Jesus because he is Lord. So is he worthy? Yes, yes. He is worthy of all praise and all attention and all affections and all priority. Because there is no name higher than Jesus. When you look upon the manger this Christmas season, be reminded that, yes, the baby is Jesus. 
And yes, he is the Christ. But it's even better than that. That name of that baby is also Lord. Owner and master of all things. That is the good news of the gospel. If Jesus isn't God, I'm not interested in serving him. But if he is God, then why would I serve anything else? Because nothing is higher than him. And that's the good news of the gospel. And you may ask, what is the gospel? Here's the gospel. And I speak to all of us in this room who were raised in church. Because I don't think most of us, in many ways, were taught the gospel. We were taught a checklist. We were taught how to repeat a prayer. But we were never told the gospel. I want to make sure as a church that the reason we do this every week is so that we know the gospel. So that, that anyone else who stands in this pulpit, or if you get a different job and you move away, because I know you'd never leave our church if you lived here. <laughs> Just kidding. That, that anyone else who proclaims the gospel, you would be like, that's, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel of the Bible. So I want you to understand what the gospel is. You needed rescuing. Do you understand why there had to be a God who would come and save you? Because you were born into sin. You sin naturally. No one has to teach you. We as humanity have invented new ways all the time to continue to sin. And that sin separated us from a holy, holy, holy God. Who, though we were born into sin, loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent Christ, God, who took on flesh, humbled himself, became a servant, and obedient to death. And not just death, but death on a cross because your sin had to be paid for. And so Jesus took your place on the cross. I'll tell you how, how bad is sin that for those on judgment day who do not have Christ, the only way you will pay for your sin is to spend forever in hell. That's how bad sin is. The payment never ends. Christ said, I will pay, I will pay it for you. He took your place on the cross and for those who repent and believe upon his sacrifice, Jesus takes your sin and then he gives you his righteousness. And so nobody, as R.C. Sproul said once, I'm going to mess it up, but that's okay. Nobody walks into heaven without wearing the robes of righteousness. And none of us have robes of righteousness, but I know one who does. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And if you repent and you believe, you will be saved. 
And people say, well, how do I know that I'm saved? Because your life will never be the same again. Will you fail and will you struggle? Yes. But when you sin, there will be something different about you. Something will say, the Holy Spirit who resides in you will say, this is not what we have for you. This is not what we want for you. And you will be without your, you'll be like, like a tractor beam. I just used a Star Wars illustration. Like a tractor beam, you will be pulled toward holiness. And so if you're sitting here today and your life is not pulled toward holiness, the Bible does not call you saved. It calls you in need of being saved. People would say, well, if I recognize I'm a sinner, how do I come to Christ? It, what, was that, what was that prayer they told me to pray in, in fourth grade VBS? You don't need that. You don't need that. You repent and you believe. Not one time when I was a police officer did anyone, when they needed help as I was driving by, go, Longview police officer, please stop here. No, they went, help! <laughs> Cry out to God because of your sin. And say, Jesus, help me. Help me. And I will follow you all the days of my life. And Christ will give you a new heart and a new life. No, you won't be perfect, but you will be changed. You will be changed. And then on the day of judgment, you will proclaim with everyone else, Jesus Christ is Lord. But you will rejoice in saying it. While those without Christ will tremble while saying it. As Keith comes, let me pray for us. Lord God, we do come before you thankful for Christ. They came to save us, the anointed one to rescue us. And that you have called him Lord. And God, we celebrate that today. We celebrate his name. And I pray, Lord, that as believers in here, we will be reminded of the good news of serving one who is Lord and master of everything. And God, I pray that will change us. I pray that we will never see a manger seeing the same. But that when we see that baby, yes, it's Jesus, but he's also the Christ that you sent. Because of his obedience, he is Lord over all. I thank you for that. God, I pray for anyone who is in here lost today, that your Holy Spirit would draw their hearts and they would repent and believe. You would change them, Lord the rest of us who are believers, Lord, who find ourselves often doubting whether or not you can truly help us in our situation or struggling to understand what you're up to, that we will rest in the fact that you are Lord, that all things exist by you, through you, and for you that we can trust you, Lord. 
with our short, temporary lives. Move among us today, Lord.